home. They say it's where the heart is. They also say it's wherever you make it. They don't say it's where you unload your stuff, get tired halfway through unpacking, use some boxes as furniture, realize your oven mitts in a box that doubles as a nightstand, don't want to buy a new nightstand, and use a towel as an oven mitt instead. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than grabbing a piping hot pan with a towel that's a bit too thin and trying to quickly get it to the counter. Ooh, hot, 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 hot. Welcome to Heidi World, the Heidi Fleiss story, a new podcast coming to iHeartRadio. Put it this way, the person Heidi that people talk about in the history of time, no one did what she did in one year. No one. In the 1990s, L.A. girl Heidi Fleiss became one of the most famous people in the world. Her trial threatened to expose L.A.'s deepest secrets. Listen to Heidi World on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready to laugh and learn. I am Flamin' Road. I am He, She, We. He cash the check, she make the money, we spend it. And along with my co-host, Lauren Hogan, Laugh and Learn is a weekly podcast bringing you the latest headlines, keeping you informed, inspired, and entertained. You never know what you're going to hear, especially with my mouth. Listen and subscribe on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. When we started this season of the podcast, travel was in a very strange place. Uh, Porticopius, uh, do you live in Salem? No, my dear, I live in the autumn woods. No, I live uh, about... 20 minutes north. (laughs) If you remember, we went to Salem, Massachusetts to see how America's Halloween capital was dealing with the return of tourism during its busiest season. Last year, it was very, very slim pickings with the tourists. Yeah, thanks to the pandemic, but the crowds were very limited compared to last, compared to today. Today and yesterday, actually. Just, Just two days. Just two days, and it's like double the amount of crowds that I saw last year. So it's fantastic. I mean, people want someplace- And since then, we've tried to profile travel stories that answer some of the tough questions. Like, what does it mean to be a quote-unquote responsible tourist? Like, be passionate about Livingston. Bring us money for the people who are living here. Don't, yeah. And then go home. Okay. <laughs> and how can we all create more inclusive spaces for everyone? Whatever your sexual orientation is, or even if you don't know what it is, that you can come here if you feel you're not sure where you are and and your family doesn't understand you. If you come here to this place, you can be who you are. Uh, And also, how to survive a polar bear attack. Make yourself as big as possible, stand alongside your tent or your sled or something, uh, making yourself more of a formidable target. Keep uh, eye contact. Don't look away because they look at that as a start of flight. And certainly never run because you'll never win the race. And the polar bear will see that. Also, why did Steve-O climb the Lincoln Memorial? I said, you know, 
If you're gonna commit a crime, you have to be prepared to accept the punishment. And in this case, I feel strongly that whatever the punishment is, I'm, I'm willing to accept it. So, like, I handed her my phone. To- anyway, we had a lot of fun and learned so much this season. And as we wrap it all up and go into podcast summer vacation, we just want to say thanks to all 146 different voices who appeared on the show this year. Yes, we actually counted. And even more importantly, we want to thank you for listening. So for news about the show and Thrillist in general, make sure you stay subscribed to our feed. We will keep you posted on what you can expect from us next. All right, so coming up today, to end things on a very high note, we brought back three of our favorite guests. In the back half, we have the man who is responsible for many, many spontaneous charges on my credit card, and I mean that in a good way, Scott Kyes of Scott's Cheap Flights. He's going to give us some advice on booking flights this summer, including some great deals to Europe. But first, we are talking with Meredith Heil and Tiana Atri, two editors from Thrillist that work in travel and have their own picks for some underrated destinations you can and probably should be visiting over the next few months. Let's get right into it. All right, so Meredith, just to start off here, um, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? I didn't. I was on a plane, so I had plain coffee, sadly. Well, have you heard the rumors that like you're actually the plain coffee is gross? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but it's all gross. Is that a rumor? It's a thing. <laughs> it's a normal? thing. It's about the water. We had a flight attendant come on earlier this season and tell us about that. So what did she say? We'll play that clip. <laughs> actually, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. You really don't want to know? Not really. I would 100% never order coffee on an airplane. Coffee or hot tea. Anything that involves hot water, I would never, ever, ever order it on an airplane. And there's only one reason why, and that reason is the way that aircrafts are designed, they have to put potable water or water that can be drunk in all at one time. And then it has to go near another area that holds liquid. And that liquid that that is right beside the potable water is the blue juice that goes in the toilet. The nozzle or the area that it goes into is directly beside the area where they put in and pull out the blue juice that has all of the urine and feces from the lab in it. And I honestly, I have never seen that potable water tank be cleaned. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's never cleaned because I don't know. But I will tell you that I have never, nor will I ever, order coffee or hot tea on a plane for that reason. Okay, now listen, I don't drink the airplane coffee anyway, because knowing my dumbass, I'm going to knock it onto somebody next to me or like spill it all over myself. But like, you just guarantee that I'm never going to, anytime I like even eye somebody drinking it, I'm going to. I don't know, man. <laughs> I just think all, like it's all gross on there. What are you going to do? Also, you think something's heated up enough, it's going to kill the bacteria. So, you see those Starbucks lying in the airport? I'm not about to stand in that. Are you kidding me? Thank you guys so much for coming on. This is you, you both have been on um, a few times before, and this is our last episode this season. So we all have beers. We kind of want to make this fun. Uh, so first off, basic question, but a good question. Meredith, what is the most essential thing you pack in your suitcase when you go on a trip that you know maybe isn't totally expected? It's a really good question. I generally have at least two unfinished crosswords or acrostics with me. Okay. 
in my backpack. Yeah, and like if I forget to download something on my phone or like if I'm trying to relax, so I'm not looking at a screen. And then I also have like a nerdy like book of acrostics that I bought myself. <laughs> like it's like I have it right here. <laughs> well, Tiana, same question. What about you? Oh God. The only thing that comes to mind, and this is actually the reason that I've kind of been in, um, speaking of hot takes, in defense of like the checked bag recently. <laughs> but my wig spray, listen, I'm a black lady. When I travel, if I'm going to wear a wig, I always have to bring blue and it gets to be too much of a sticky mess. So recently I've started checking uh, a bag so that I can bring my little hairspray. No, full size products, full size products is what's up. Exactly, exactly. So we talked a little bit about coffee. Uh, here's another kind of urban legendy type thing. Uh, Tiana, I'll start with you first. Do you think that Bloody Marys actually do taste better on airplanes? Um, can I just, I, you know what? I've actually never had a Bloody Mary in my life. Okay, that's what I was worried <laughs> I about. I'm, so, I'm sorry. They, just, they look, to me, it's like, it seems too much like drinking ketchup, like alcoholic ketchup. It turns me off a little bit. I am um, also not a Bloody Mary fan. But I would imagine, I don't hate tomato juice, and I would imagine that if it doesn't taste better, it probably makes you feel better because there's a lot of, like, minerals and stuff in tomato juice. That's why people drink it on planes when, like, you know, when the altitude is messing with your body. So I would imagine that it's a good move, although it's not a move I generally make. Yeah, okay. I think it's bullshit, although you made it sound very legit, Meredith, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I was going to say, that was a very science-backed answer. <laughs> We're all like, I think there's yeah. something there. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something there, too. Um, okay, so uh, Meredith, starting with you again, who do you think the most annoying celebrity to go on a road trip with would be? Living or dead? Let's open it up. Whoa. How long of a road trip? Four days. Who's driving? Three nights. All, you're switching back and forth. Okay. Probably any real housewife, and I'm not that well versed in the universe, but I imagine that they're not used to taking road trips. <laughs> so I would, <laughs> I would imagine they would be complaining a lot and they would not be down to like get fast food or like, like on a road trip. One of my road trip things is I need to have like a big gulp of Diet Mountain Dew if I'm driving late at night. It's like the only thing that'll keep me awake because coffee like will turn your stomach later at night. And I don't want like, Red Bull or something like super syrupy and I'm pretty sure any rural housewife would have a problem with me having a big gulp of Diet Mountain Dew. I could see that. They wouldn't want to stop at the Flying J at 3 a.m. for your No, probably <laughs> your not. Dew. <laughs> uh, Tiana, same question. I've been talking so and we were watching an interview with him earlier so maybe he's not as annoying as he seems but Jared Leto is the first person that comes to mind for me. <laughs> I feel like he'd be like trying to method act like he was Hunter S. Thompson or some bullshit Whoa, like that's that a really good call. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think I could take it, like, waving pig guts or whatever the fuck in front of my face after that long in the car. That might be mine, too. I was thinking about that. I was asking <laughs> that's it. That's a really good... That's a pretty good call. Um... Yeah. He kind of sucks. Uh, okay, uh, Tiana, I, I know you um, you are a great photographer. You take a lot of travel photos, you know, being travel editor. How do you honestly feel about taking other people's photos when you're on vacation? Does that annoy you? Well, I mean, like a stranger, I should clarify. Like when someone's like, hey, will you take my photo? To take our photos? Dude, I crave the moment that somebody asked me to take their picture. I'm the type of person that like, 
before anybody will be like doing weird like backflips and like being on my knees and <laughs> yeah. spinning around and shit to get the perfect angle. I love it. I don't mind at all. I don't mind at all. Do you have any just kind of like random tips for somebody if, uh, you know, someone does approach you and throws an iPhone in your face? Oh, Christ. Make sure the camera is wiped off. The number of times I've seen people like take the blurriest photos in the world, all you have to do is just give the phone a little scrub with your shirt. Like people take the blurriest photos in all of creation for, for no reason and like ruin their shot doing that. Do you sneak one of yourself in there too? Do you flip the camera? Because <laughs> I definitely do that. It's wonderful. No, I'm, I'm too anxious to do that. <laughs> What's a place that for you that, for lack of a better phrase, is slightly under the radar that, that you've been to that you would maybe recommend people try to go to this summer? You know, let's give them some classic Thrillist service on this segment. <laughs> um, sure. So the first one that came to mind is actually Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know how off the radar it is necessarily, especially if you live in the South or in the Midwest, but I think it does surprise people how much there is to do there. Like between the distilleries, the restaurants, the people are super chill. Like there's really cool museums, um, really amazing bars, like a really cool sports scene. So I've been down there for a soccer tournament and it's always pretty like, it's, it gets hot, but it doesn't get crazy hot. It gets cold, but not crazy cold. And it's cheap. It's like, such an awesome, underrated little getaway. I love that. And I, I, it's obviously not like completely under the radar, but it's a place where like, you know, me coming from the East Coast, I wouldn't think to take like a weekend trip there. You know, it just wouldn't be something that pops up. Meredith, you, I trust your bar recommendations perhaps more than anyone else on the planet. You've never steered me wrong. I mean, there's so much. So like you can go super fancy and even super fancy is like, you know, it's not getting, you don't have to dress up too much, but it's still kind of like old South. You can go to the 21C Museum Hotel. There's a bar in the hotel. The hotel itself is really cool, too. It's right downtown. And it was one of the first, if not the first, 21C, which is this chain of modern art museums that happen to have hotels in them, as opposed to hotels that happen to have, like, two paintings on the wall or whatever. And they have this bar attached to it called Proof. It's a whiskey bar, but they also just do, like, amazing cocktails, and their selection is incredible. Their bartenders are geniuses. And that's kind of on the higher end. On the lower end, my favorite dive bar is going to have to be, oof, there's something up. Probably the Pearl, the Pearl of Germantown. Just a little hole in the wall. They give like ham sandwiches at night. <laughs> there's like a, like a ring toss thing to get free shots. Um, oh, yes. It's like incredibly, incredibly chill. And then distilleries. What's really cool about Louisville is that Right before the pandemic, they were trying to make a push to be more like tourist friendly. Because actually, if you go to Louisville, the distilleries that you think of and like the bourbon trail are like hours outside. You know, it's a whole day long, two day long adventure to go to some of those because they're big, you know, they're huge farms. Right. But what they did is a lot of these distilleries started open, opening up like tasting rooms downtown and sort of reviving downtown Louisville. So it's really cool. You can basically walk down one street for like about a mile and stop into like, you know, Michter's, Peerless, Angel's Envy, Old Forester, and they've got everything there, the whole experience. So they use some distilling on site. You can taste everything, talk to them. So it's always a fun time. Six-hour drive from Chicago. How many uh, big gulps of Diet Mountain Dew are you drinking on that trip? Well, I only do that at night when I'm sleeping. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Um, but no, I definitely could probably crush two. <laughs> two? Okay, that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. 
But I kind of have two places. One, Will, I guess I'm 99% sure you're going to guess what I'm going to pick. And then the other one is kind of out. Everybody kind of brushes off Idaho, but I don't understand why. Like, like Sawtooth National Forest has this like beautiful lakes and stuff like that. They're like gorgeous beaches, these enormous trees and mountains and stuff like that. They just look so romantic. I feel like there are so many cool small towns and stuff to explore. There's a bunch of like hot springs as well. I feel like that are really, really cool. Um, To me, it just is like maybe the most underrated state. And I know um, Idaho Falls right over the border from Jackson Hole in Wyoming. And a lot of people that work in Jackson actually live in Idaho Falls. So it's, you know, a lot more of a fun town. It's a little more relaxed, less bougie. So no, I think that's a great pick. Um, And I think I know what you're going to say next. You definitely should because that's also an excellent place to go, Tiana. Yes, exactly. You know my spot. (laughs) My number one place I've probably been in the last year, Bozeman, Montana, baby. Yeah. Honestly, all of Montana is a similar vibe. Very glorious, very, very spread out. I still cannot get over the fact that like while I was, while we were on the road in Montana, we would just go like hours without seeing anybody. But there's like a peacefulness to that. And the town itself is just super, it's super chill. Everybody was so friendly while we were there. And the food, I will never, ever, 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 ever shut up about the food in Bozeman, Montana. I thought farm to table was like a load of crap. I was like, (laughs) it's just a buzzword that like food there is so fresh and good. Like, Plonk, baby. Plonk. Plonk is the only. <laughs> yeah. And you've been now. I have, you've yeah. Been now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was I right or no, was I right? You were right. Plonk is kind of an Elizabethan um, old school term that means cheap, shitty table wine. It's just kind of the irony of we have the best wine list in the state and um, we're calling ourselves shitty and cheap. This is Brad FG, one of the owners of Plonk. According to him, the better owner. We have a really fantastic food program, and really our mainstay is craft cocktails and the focus on the booze spirit side. Within the walls of the restaurant, we have a bunch of different experiences from a casual lounge section to a high-end dining area. Um, We have a fully stocked wine cellar, one of the best in the state, and um, we do private parties down there. But really the cool part about Plonk, I think, is that that you can come in and have a different experience every time that, that you walk in the door over and over and over again. We don't have a host, um, and so really it's just walk in and and choose your poison for the night. You know, there's nowhere else where you can have a private wine cellar dinner or anything. I was like, this is kind of amazing. I was pretty drunk off of the wine, but, you know, I I stand by my statement. I will say, uh, just don't... (laughs) Learn from my mistakes and don't go in the middle of February. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's, um, it's pretty brutal, but I still had a good time. It's a different type of cold, honestly. Oh, all right. Oh shit. Speaking of Bozeman, this is a, a pretty great transition. One of the themes that we've tried to touch on in that episode specifically, actually, this season, was this theme of what it means to be a responsible tourist. To um, you know, because that really affects so much of what we cover at Thrillist. We like to tell people go here, do this, experience it. But um, we also want people to, for lack of a better phrase, you know, not be an asshole while while they are there. Uh, Meredith, you know, even in broad strokes, what does that sentiment mean to you? you you've been all over the world, all over the country. Um, you know, how do you kind of approach that situation? I'm kind of like a research nerd by nature. So I like to do my research before I go somewhere. 
I like to do my Googles and not just assume that everyone's going to tell me what to do or how to be or what the customs are. And then I think it's also about where you spend your money, you know, so you want to shop, eat, stay local as much as possible. Um, support whatever community you're in and not just take from it, you know, try to get outside your comfort zone. and Try that, you know, whatever the Bozeman Montana staple is, <laughs> <laughs> staple dish, um, you know, with that and be open minded. You know, you're coming into somebody's home. Once again, Meredith kind of hit the nail on the head. Like I, but honestly, both when it comes to how to be a more environmentally friendly traveler and how to just be a responsible traveler in general, people, I think, and it, it, it's true that a lot of the time it's hard to make an impact individually, but truly money, where you spend your money is always going to be like the most, the most important thing when it comes to being responsible. Like. For example, if you if you find it important to like protect the environment or protect animals or something like that, somewhere like spend your money with tourism groups um, who are actually who you can verify are actually doing work to you know be responsible in that arena. Or yeah, if you're gonna go wherever, like do your best to support local businesses and stay at like a small locally owned boutique hotel or something like that. But yeah, just in general, like don't be an asshole. I think people. People really tend to act up a lot on vacation because, I don't know, they want to feel bougie or fancy or whatever. But truly, like, you can make... The, the reason that tourists so often get a bad rep isn't isn't even necessarily because they're there. It's just because they're there and, like, acting like jerks mm-hmm. for, for God knows what reason. Like, be open-minded. Also, keep cash, like, whatever currency. It's, like... I, I know it's something that I always forget to do as well. But even in the States, like, you know, leave cash, leave cash tip in your hotel room when you leave. Mm. Like, I, so many people don't know to do that. And it's ridiculous. But it's just a little bit of pocket change can go a long way. So lastly, you know, another recurring theme this season for us at Thrillist. And, um, you know, I think actually site-wide, we've always tried to cultivate this thought is, um, you know, that you don't have to travel really far to have a worthwhile travel experience you you know especially now how do you feel about that sentiment tiana about you know trying to take advantage of what's around you and the fact that really you know let's even just talk about the states almost everywhere every city every town has something worthwhile around it a lot of things we cover um you know personally at thrillist but you know what does that mean to you that concept i guess to me the beauty of like rediscovering the stuff that's around you is that like it makes travel feel just just so much more accessible in that like, you know, I might only be able to go to Easter Island or somewhere super far flung like once in my life. It's gonna cost a billion dollars to go and you spend your whole life chasing that kind of thing. And then once it's done, like, are you chasing that high again forever? Like. It it feels particularly special to find something in your own backyard because it's something that you know you can return to again and again. I think that travel is a beautiful thing, but at the same time, it's even more magical to, to appreciate what's closer to home. Like it gives you that same kind of burst of serotonin as if you'd, you know, gotten somewhere, somewhere, you know, a billion miles away. So I moved to Chicago from New York in early 2019, and we're actually moving to DC at the end of the summer. I started getting really sad about leaving Chicago and I was like, I'm going to make a bucket list of like Chicago area stuff that I need to do, especially things that I'm not going to go back and do after I don't live there, like in the surrounding area, like I'm planning a trip to go to 
the driftless region of Wisconsin next month. It's just this part of Wisconsin that didn't have glaciers. And so it's really weird terrain and like really cool agriculture. Um, so that has kind of sparked my interest in that uh, backyard tourism stuff, whether it's going to this one like 4 a.m. like piece of crap dive bar that I've never actually been to that everyone talks about, or it's like going to see the Frank Lloyd Wright houses in the suburbs that I've never actually seen. If I were to sort of put that on somebody else, how to do it, I think find an anchor, find a cool Airbnb that just looks awesome and you don't even know where it is, right? And if it's affordable and driving distance, book it and then be like, all right, what else is in this town? You know, go to the tourism board website or look up a podcast on it, listen to on the way there. Maybe there's a sports game you want to see or a concert or something like that. Um, and then you can kind of build up a whole weekend around it and learn a ton about, you know, Glendale, wherever, or, you know, Springfield, whatever. Yeah, those are two very common town names. So good call there. This has been like such a blast. It's always so great to talk to you too. Um, so, you know, I'm going to hold up my big gulp diet Mountain Dew and cheers to both of you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for helping us wrap this season up, honestly. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Will. Have, awesome. uh, congrats on a great podcast season. Well, yeah. thank you. Finally, someone said it. Okay. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, Scott Kyes of Scott's Cheap Flights. Stick around. If you listen to this podcast a lot, you'll definitely recognize Scott Kaiser's voice. He founded Scott's Cheap Flights and wrote the book, Take More Vacations. He's got some info on cheap upcoming flights, why your next flight could actually be a bus ride, and why European airlines might have better deals than domestic airlines this summer. Hmm. Let's get into it. Scott, just, just to start off, uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Ooh, I had for breakfast the same thing I have basically every single day, and that is a bowl of grape nuts. Grape nuts are uh, the world's best cereal. A lot of folks haven't recognized this fact, but a staple in the Kai's household, and I look forward to it. It's a very polarizing cereal. I recognize I'm in the distinct minority. You would be disgusted seeing my garage full of bulk family packs of grape nuts. If it gets below 10 boxes, I start to get a little worried that we might be running out soon. In terms of flights, uh, one thing that I don't think I'm alone in worrying about uh, is airfares creeping up. I've seen it anecdotally just in looking at booking trips for this summer. I know that last month was the single highest jump in terms of uh, airline prices on record, but I know that doesn't necessarily tell the full story here, right? Yeah, that's right. Look, the March price index just came out uh, the week that we are recording here. And you're right that it had the single highest one-month jump on record with airfare increasing nearly 11% over February prices. In the past year, it's up 24%. But if you zoom out a little bit further, which I encourage folks to do, you see a little bit less of a dire picture, This a little bit less of like a chicken little, oh my gosh, there are no cheap flights left. Because two years ago, airfare was actually 5% higher than it is today. Five years ago, it was 25% higher than it was today. Ten years ago, it was 35% higher. 
We are still living in what I call the golden age of cheap flights. Airfare is way, way cheaper than it had been even a decade ago. And the reason why, the airline business model has changed in a pretty significant way. It used to be that airlines made almost all their money on economy airfare. But today, airlines actually make the majority of their money on things other than economy airfare. They make it on selling premium business class seats. They make it on selling frequent flyer miles and credit card contracts. They make it on corporate contracts and selling cargo and commissions and, and you know, certainly add-on fees. All these revenue sources that make it that your economy airfare just doesn't matter to airlines nearly in the way that it used to. In March, as average airfare went up 11%, Here's an example of the few of the a few of the uh, tickets that we found and sent to Scottsdale flights members. Three hundred eighty-one dollars round trip to Paris, one hundred ninety-three dollars round trip to Costa Rica, three sixty-two round trip to Barcelona, one hundred ninety-seven round trip to Hawaii. These are all on full-service airlines. This is not some like Spirit or Frontier uh, nonsense. And those types of fares exist even in a world where average fares are increasing and increasing quickly. I love slash hate when you rattle off your flight deals because I'm like, part of me is like, that's great. That's awesome. Then part of me is like, why am I not on all of those flights? Uh, because <laughs> Yeah, why did I pay $500 to fly back to Dayton, Ohio to visit my folks the other day when I could have flown to Paris for half the price? <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you about for sure, um, which I saw in the news, it definitely perked my ears up. Um, uh, I believe it's American Airlines is offering now bus services in lieu of short flights. I think the example, um, you know, for us East Coasters was Philly to Atlantic City, which, t- to be honest, it, that's would be a very quick flight. <laughs> yeah, I love this idea that your next your next flight might be on a bus. Exactly, that's um, the headline, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, this is happening more and more. You see American offering uh, what they call, uh, it's a company called Landline that they've partnered with where you can fly to take your flight to Philadelphia and then hop a bus to Atlantic City or to Allentown. Ditto if you're flying to Denver, you can hop a bus to Breckenridge if you want to go skiing or to up to Fort Collins, actually one of my my former home. Um, And the benefit of doing that is, is a few things. Let's say you're flying from New York to Breckenridge, but it's the first portion is to Denver, and then the last leg is on a bus. Where that really kind of gets uh, uh, helpful for travelers is that they automatically transfer your your check bags through to the bus and then to your final destination. You uh, don't even have to leave the airport. It's like you're going to... It's just like a regular connection, you know, I think it's gate like A78, and then instead of getting on a flight, you just walk onto the bus. Uh, It's a little bit greener, certainly, than flying these short-haul flights, and it lets the airline connect you to a much more uh, wider array of nearby cities than they would otherwise be able to, especially in light of the pilot shortage. You know, it's a lot easier to hire bus drivers than it is to hire pilots. I wish this service had existed when I lived in Fort Collins. So I'm glad to see this. I think it's going to continue to expand because there are a lot of places that are maybe, you know, 60 to 90 miles from the airport that are very popular, like Atlantic City, like the mountains in Denver, Breckenridge and whatnot, but uh, that, that there's not exactly viable air service to. And so to be able to just hop on a bus from the nearby major airport could, I think, really be a benefit for a lot of travelers. 
you know, not only are you so well versed in the airline industry, but you are a prolific traveler yourself. You love travel, and I've always had such a great time talking with you about travel trends and places that you love, places that you love to visit.、Uh, you know, what's a destination that you've been to that you think really deserves some attention? Some somewhere that places like, let's say, a thrillist, for example, might overlook when we're doing a travel guide. Somewhere that's a little, you know, under the radar because that's what we like to highlight on this show. Sure, sure. I'll give you four. First and foremost, an easy one to get to that I cannot believe it still gets overlooked by many American travelers is、uh, interior Mexico. So,、um, not Cancun, not Cabo, not Puerto Vallarta, but basically any part of Mexico that doesn't have a beach next to it. So, Mexico City, Puebla, a lot of you know Oaxaca, very popular. Actually, I used to live in Oaxaca when I was a bit younger. Mexico City is just a gem. People don't realize it is the largest city in the Western Hemisphere, far bigger than New York City, and just an incredible place to visit, especially if you're a, a big food fan like I am.、Uh, going on, going on to other underrated destinations,、uh, staying in the Western Hemisphere, Trinidad and Tobago.、Um, one of the only the reason why I love Trinidad and Tobago is that. Uh, unlike most of the Caribbean, that who's where the local economies tend to be pretty tourism dependent, Trinidad and Tobago is one of the only places whose economy is not primarily dependent on tourism.、Um, I believe it's a national natural resources oriented economy, oil and whatnot. But they,、uh, as a result, I think it's just a much much more interesting. Uh, uh, culture and society there. It just, a, a, you know, it, 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 the food is really what drew me there, as you'll see in a theme among many of these places, because it's such this blend of like uh, uh, Caribbean, African, and and like Indian、uh, cult, uh, culinary influences that just results in incredible, incredible uh, uh, dishes. Just, I cannot recommend enough going to Trinidad and Tobago, getting the bus up shut, getting doubles, getting shark and bake if you're if you're、uh, if you're a little adventurous and willing. Third on the list of underrated places, the、uh, maybe not the best time for it right now, considering the the、uh, war in Ukraine. But hopefully, once things die down sooner rather than later, the Baltics and and Lithuania in、uh, in particular, one of the most interesting, fascinating sort of east east meets west uh, uh, places in Europe, where it's much cheaper, but it also feels very familiar. Uh, uh, just a wonderful place to to visit, to drink beer, to ride bikes around. Going to the、uh, either Vilnius or the Coronian Spit out on the、um, far east side of the country and riding bikes around this sort of, uh, uh, I guess I guess it's called an isthmus or a spit where it's like you got the forest on one side and the beach on the other, and it's just beautiful. Last place I recommend underrated Taiwan.、Um, Incredible country. I didn't really have much a conception of traveling there before I visited. I just found a cheap flight and went. And、um, I mean the, the 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 food, the people, the cost of living. Uh, uh, so accessible, but then just the natural beauty. You know, it's a very mountainous island. You go down to a place uh, um, in the sort of center of the country called、um, the Taroko Gorge, where think of it as you can ride motorbikes through. Imagine you could ride motorbikes through the Grand Canyon, except instead of the Grand Canyon being dry and and, and arid, it's、uh, lush and green. That is the Taroko Gorge with like beautiful Buddhist like temples built into the hillside. Just an incredible, incredible visit. So,、uh, interior Mexico, Trinidad and Tobago, Lithuania, Taiwan, 
all very much on my underrated but well worth a visit places. So, you know, another big part of the show this past season that we've touched upon is this idea of responsible tourism, going places and not being, you know, a, for lack of a better word, a dick, a shitty tourist, someone that, you know, leaves a place worse than than, than how they found it. Uh, in your mind, uh, is that something that you try to be cognizant of when you travel? And um, how do you try to reckon with that when, when you go to a place? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a really... Um complex issue that one that's not does not lend itself well to simplistic answers. So let me give you an example. Um, many folks have heard of Cinque Terre, these like beautiful seaside villages. You can go hike between them on the Italian coast. Just, just incredible. Highly recommend. I was doing this once, gosh, this would have been almost eight, nine years ago now, and stopped in at this just sort of bed and breakfast, had some lunch, and... Um, I was talking with the 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 uh, server, and I was asking, "So, you know, how do you like living here? How is it, you know, with all the tourists?" And I was expecting to hear like, "Oh, the tourists suck. You know, they, they're all just jerks. They overrun things. You know, that sort of like mentality that a lot of us feel, where we feel almost uh, uh, very self conscious about being a tourist in the first place." But the answer she gave me was that, "Oh, I feel incredibly grateful for this because the." When she was growing up in the 70s or 80s or whenever, the uh, tourism to Cinque Terre was a fraction of what it was. It was really, you know, quote unquote, undiscovered. And uh, as a result, she figured, look, I'm not going to be able to make a living here in my hometown. I'm going to have to go move uh, when I want to start a family to Milan or somewhere else to make money. And so for her, she was like, to be able to stay in my hometown, to stay close to my family and still be able to make a living is such a blessing. Um, and and that really like uh, resonated with me in a way where I, I sort of assumed that it was all either negative sum or zero sum, that, you know, tourism is bad, tourism is like extractive. You know, having that influx of, of money and support is uh, in a lot of places really, really essential for it to be able to be sustained and continue. Man, it's a complex issue. And I'm, you know, I think it's beneficial to see places like Venice start to inst- institute like tourist taxes and stuff like that, that to be able to control it maybe a little bit better and make it a, so it doesn't become negative some, but I don't think there are easy, uh, easy answers or easy fixes here. And I don't think the discussion of it being as an unallied, tourism is an unallied bad thing is particularly well served. I know that this is fairly unpredictable, but in terms of locations, destinations, so this summer, there might be some less expensive flights to these, these places. Or is a destination or multiple destinations that you think might be a good deal this summer? Oh, for this, I mean, look, I think the where you're going to see a lot of the best deals this summer is actually on travel to Europe. Um, and it might be a bit surprising considering Europe summer and cheap flights is not typically a combination of words you see in a sentence. But um, I think this summer might be a little bit of an exception for a couple reasons. You start off with there's a far fewer fo- uh, folks willing to travel internationally than are traveling domestically. You layer on top of that the fact that a lot of airlines have 
added to their capacity on on transatlantic flights and fully recovered from, you know, where they were the past two summers. So, I mean, take flights to London, between the U.S. and London. Last summer, there were 1.9 million seats uh, available on summer flights between the U.S. and London. This summer, it's 6.3 million seats. So not only is it, you know, between three and four times higher, but it's actually higher in this summer 2022 than it was in summer 2019. And the last factor here is why I think uh, Europe in general, and especially kind of Western and Central Europe, are, are going to see so many good deals uh, uh, going forward, is that during the this sort of oil, like uh, time of high oil prices, um, the airlines historically did what was called oil hedging, where they would basically buy prepay for oil at a at a current price and because that way if the future price went higher they would still be locked in at the current price and they would be getting a good deal airlines did this basically across the board 15 years ago when when oil prices got really high and most of them actually they just timed it really poorly the US airlines basically started doing this at the peak and then when oil prices started going down they lost a lot of money so most of them got out of the business of oil hedging uh, European airlines did not. They are mostly uh, have engaged and continue to engage in oil hedging. And so what that means is that many of the European airlines are still paying far lower rates. And so what that then entails is that they can afford to offer much cheaper prices than many of their U.S. counterparts. And so when Lufthansa or Air France or British Airways can afford to, you know, fly three or $350, $400 flights round trip between the U.S. and Europe, that then causes Delta and United and others to have to match those airlines on price and to offer much cheaper fares than they would otherwise like to because they know that the way leisure travelers purchase their flights and the way vacationers choose which flight to buy it's just the price. That is by far the number one factor. It's just what is the cheapest flight. And so this is why I think you're gonna continue to see a lot of great deals between the US and Europe. Summer, you might still see some at the edge, especially if you're going more in like late August or, or even more so in early September. Um, we're starting to get a little bit close to summer when the availability of cheap flights anywhere really dries up. But if you're if you've got some flexibility, if you're especially if you're thinking about maybe going in the fall or winter, tons and tons of cheap flights to Europe. Almost, you know, if especially if you live in a big city, but even if you live in you know Cody, Wyoming, Dayton, Ohio, Boise, Idaho, you should be able to get a flight to Europe under five hundred bucks round trip for the fall or winter, if not if not even cheaper than that. That's amazing. Well, I have to say, I will be paying attention to the deals you highlight. I will almost certainly be taking a big trip this summer, and I will definitely be booking a window seat so I can see everything. Mm. <laughs> Love Boom. it. Love it. Um, no, well, Scott, you know, this has been great per usual, and want to thank you for coming on today, and also thank you for coming on multiple times throughout, you know, this show's history. Always a pleasure, always super illuminating and interesting and fun to speak with you about this stuff. So we do appreciate I'm, it. I'm excited for, hopefully I get an invite back for season five. <laughs> Love to be able to check back in and what's happening in the world of travel and flights then. Most definitely, you certainly will. All right, uh, all right. well, Scott, thank you so much again, man. Appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks so much, Will. 
All right, that is it for today and our entire season. Thanks again for listening and make sure to stay subscribed to our feed for news and updates about the show. Okay, I'm turning off my mic now. Be good, be safe. Bye. This show is produced by myself and Mia Fask, edited and mixed by the otherworldly Dean White and Abby Austria. Special thanks to all of my bosses, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, and Emily Feld. That's it for us. Put your tray tables up, leave your shoes on. Bye.